Good morning. It is good to see you all here again. If I could just, for my own benefit, take a quick poll. We learned about polls yesterday. How many of you have been here for some of the meetings this weekend? All right, almost everyone. How, how many of you have been here for all the meetings this weekend? Okay, good number. Now let me ask a few more questions. How many of you have been blessed by this weekend? Amen. I raised my hand for that too. A lot of questions. How many of you have been to restoration? Can I see your hands? Just about every hand. How many of you have been to GYC? All right. A lot of the same hands going up. How many of you try your very best to go to spiritual meetings? Places like here, or meetings like these, where you know that the word is being preached. All right? Well, that's exactly what I thought. As we already mentioned, Sunday morning is sort of the, the time where we discover who's the real remnant, right? I'm just joking about that. But I understand Sunday morning we weed out the less diligent or less persevering of the saints. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just understand that circumstances prevent many people from coming. But you know, the message this morning is designed for people like you and I. People who love to hear sermons preached. People who try their best to make it to every single meeting that they hear about. They go to Restoration and GYC and Advent Hope. This sermon is for us. But before we begin, let us bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, today we know that you have some word to speak to us. We ask that we will be not only hearers of the word, but doers as well. As we conclude this weekend with a few final meetings, may your spirit come and be with us yet again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn your Bibles with me to Ezekiel chapter 33. This is where our message is taken today. Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts, and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and took not warning, his blood shall be on, excuse me, his blood shall be upon his own head. That's right. Verse 5, he heard the sound of the trumpet, and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. Verse 6, but... If the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, 
and the people be not warned. If the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the who? Watchman's hand. So, thou son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. This is a challenging passage, particularly for the people who stand at the pulpit. We have been called, I believe all of us have been called, but particularly in the context of the preacher. God has given a message to be sounded like the trumpet. There's warning messages to be given, isn't there? And this passage tells me, as someone who has been given the opportunity, the duty to preach the word, that if I don't do my job, if I don't preach the truth, if I don't sound the warning cry of the trumpet, if any of you lose your soul, the blood will be upon my hand. And for every preacher, I know there are some in this congregation, there are some of you here, perhaps you don't preach from the pulpit, but you give Bible studies. In your witnessing from day to day, if you resist from holding or from preaching the truth, from sounding to trumpet, if the soul that you are witnessing to perishes, his blood or her blood will be upon your hand. And you see, this is a very difficult message for a preacher because we speak the things that God has impressed upon us. And sometimes it's hard to say. And sometimes it's not politically correct, but yet we are duty-bound to say it anyway for the sake of the salvation of even just one. But that's not the end of our Bible reading. Look with me now. In the same chapter in Ezekiel, you may be thinking, ha, huh, well, he's talking about him. He's the preacher. Well, no, we're all preachers, but let's look at what the chapter continues to say. Beginning in verse 30. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee. The margin says, talking of thee. By the walls and in the doors of the houses and speak one to another, everyone to his brother saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. These people sound just like us. We go home and we get on the phone. Oh, John or Bob or Sally or whatever. 
Have you heard about these meetings? You really have to come out and hear this guy. Restoration is just amazing. You should come and, and join Dunamis. You should come to GYC. This is the type of thing that's happening. They talk about the preacher. They talk about the preaching of the word and they say, they call their friends, they talk about it. Come, hear what is the word that comes forth from the Lord. But look at the next verse. Verse 31. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goes after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them a very lovely song, one that has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this comes to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet has been among them. You know, so often we come to these spiritual meetings and we hear the word and we think that is powerful. The truth is being preached. Preach it, brother. That's right. Amen. And then when we walk out of the auditorium or the church, wherever the message is being spoken, we leave with this feeling of being blessed. And we get sort of excited because the speaker perhaps was dynamic or... The group was just right there with him and you can feel the atmosphere, the ambiance in the room is just perfect and you just feel great. You're on a high, you walk out of there. But you live the same old life. We do the same old things. We go back home, we listen to the same thing, talk the same way, eat the same things. Our hearts are not being changed. We love to hear the preacher talk about everyone except for us. I know the feeling. Look, this sermon was written for me. I understand what it is when I hear a sermon, the, the preacher just told it like it should be told. Straight as an arrow. Calling sin by its right name. And, we, and I think in my mind, that's right. Those people really should learn their lesson. They shouldn't do that anymore. They really ought to pay attention. But ah, I'm okay. And very often we come, just like the, the, the prophet Ezekiel said, we come to these meetings as sanctified entertainment. Have you ever felt that? That preacher is so good. You've got to hear him. It's like we're talking about a rock musician or something. It's like a, it's like a concert sometimes. That's exactly what Ezekiel's talking about. Thou art like one that has a lovely voice. You are, you are as one that can play well on an instrument. And what type of instrument do you suppose that this guy's playing. He's playing the trumpet. And instead of hearing it like 
the battle cry that it's meant to be. As a warning message, the people sit back, kick up their feet, pull out their popcorn, and they say, He is a good trumpet player. He has some incredible technique. He can just blast it. Boy, he's good. That trumpet player, oh my, he is so young. Friends, the trumpet is to be sounded not as a performance. When we hear the trumpet, we ought to take a closer look at what is in our hearts. And you know, sometimes we go, we go back home and then, I know I've done this, and instead of discussing the truth that has been imparted, we dissect the preacher. Did you see his tie was crooked? I can't believe that he would say such a thing. But perhaps worse than that, Sometimes we praise the preacher too much. We place the preacher up here somewhere and we say, the truth is good because of who's preaching it. Instead of saying, the preacher is a servant of God because he's preaching the truth. We need to be careful. We need to be careful that when the trumpet is sounded that we don't just pretend that it's a concert, that we're coming here for a great time, and we go home and go on our merry way, and everything is just honky-dory. We need to take a closer look at ourselves. The preaching of the Word is not just a performance. The preaching of the Word is the chosen method, the most effective method, we are told, through which God communicates His truth. The Bible calls it, the Apostle Paul calls it, the foolishness of preaching. Can you imagine? Just think of it. Take away all of your religious biases and just think how silly it is to come sit in a chair, listen to the guy talk for an hour, and that is some way of spiritual upliftment? It's silly. But yet, that is why it's called the foolishness of preaching. That's why God has called us to do it. And so today, if you would allow me, I'm going to toot my horn a little bit. And I'm going to continue to shed some light. Perhaps in some areas in our life that we would rather not have light shown upon. But as the people who desire to be the faithful in the last generation, do you think that we ought to rise to the bare minimum? Or do we want to reach and climb and soar to reach higher than the highest? Higher than the highest. So let me share with you some of the concerns that I have, perhaps burdens upon my heart. Now the final generation, do you think that this will be a group of people who, will be able, who will, we will be able to look at their life and be able to tell that they're different? 
Don't you think that the final generation, the faithful of God in the last days of earth's history, they will have a peculiar lifestyle? Let me read you a quotation. Councils on diets and foods. I'm playing the trumpet, all right? Page 382, paragraph 1. Health reform is to do among our people a work which, is, which it has not yet done. There are those who ought to be awake to the danger of meat eating, who are still eating the flesh of animals, thus endangering the physical, mental, and spiritual health. Many who are now only half converted on the question of eat meat, meat eating will go from God's people to walk no more with them. Brothers and sisters, we of all people living here in Loma Linda, California, just a couple hops and skips away from what used to be the, the College of Medical Evangelists, even here in Loma Linda, could it be said of us that health reform has not done the work that it ought to have done? Brothers and sisters, eating unclean meats is non-negotiable. That should not even be a question that crosses our mind. But this is not what I'm talking about. The question of meat eating, eating the flesh of dead animals. Brothers and sisters, you don't need to be a medical professional to know the dangers of eating flesh food. And you know something? You don't even need to be an Adventist to know. The rocks are crying out. Non-Adventists are, are running ahead of us in the area in which we pioneered. In health reform, they are crying out saying that those things that our prophet has said was incompatible with the Christian lifestyle, they are saying that it's no good. And yet Adventists today is justifying eating the things that our prophet has said we should not eat. I don't need to say too much about this. Visit Wildwood. Talk to our doctors here. This is an issue that we need to rise higher in. Brothers and sisters, as we mentioned yesterday, we need every advantage we can get. We can't afford to be doing battle with the devil with clouded minds. We need to rise higher in health reform. And not only that, caffeine is not not only is it excused these days, it's the norm. Coffee and teas and soft drinks. You should do your own study. Look into that further. Because friends, it hardly even takes faith anymore to believe in the health message. The evidence is so abundant, especially for us living here in this country, in this city, 
we need a rise high. But that's not all. Let's continue. Second Testimonies, Testimonies, Volume 2, page 252, paragraph 1. The marriage relation is holy. But in this degenerate age, it covers vileness of every description. It is abused and has become a crime which now constitutes one of the signs of the last days. Even as marriages managed as they were previous to the flood were then a crime. The marriage relation is under attack. Divorce within the church is just as bad as outside the church. And in the Bible, Jesus represents his relation to his people as a husband to a wife. And if his chosen people in the end of time, those who claim to be part of the faithful in the final generation, are, are marrying and giving in marriage, they are divorcing and they are le leaving their marriage relations, the vows at the altar and forgetting about it, how are we representing Christ's relationship to the church? The marriage is under attack and it is a dishonor to God when we reveal the passion within our hearts, passion that runs higher than the fear of God. And as a result of this type of default, defective marriage relation, the children of those relationships suffer the most. And the cycle is a vicious cycle. It just continues. One generation makes a mistake and it's passed on to the next generation and they're more likely to make the mistake and they make the mistake and the next generation suffers even more and it just continues in this downward spiral. And I know that there are many in this room right here who is a result or who is related to someone who is a result of a broken home. It is not God's and for those of us who are not yet married, you don't fix a marriage once you get married. You fix it now. And you don't fix the marriage now by fixing whoever you think will be your spouse. You fix it by fixing yourself. As long as you think that you're okay, you're not. We need to be able to come into grips of the reality that Jesus needs to have all of us. And until He has become our true husband, we are not ready to get married. And let us learn to be grounded in the Lord first before we give our affections away to someone else. The social relation, this marriage relation is under attack. And so often, we think that we just need to go with our feelings. But in all areas of life. We say we need to go by the Bible. We need to go by principle. Why is it any different with the marriage relation? Go read the book Adventist Home. If you haven't read it already, Adventist Home is not just for the married couples, for the singles as well. I've read that book. And you know, the Bible tells us, let's look in our Bibles. The reason why I bring this up in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. 
Matthew 24, verse 37. A familiar passage to all of us, but it's an important one. It is one of those passages that we do well to apply and to learn from. But as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. Health reform was not being implemented. Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. The twofold sign in the days of Noah that is also to be a sign at the end of time has to do with the health or the appetite of God's people as well as their passion, the marriage or the social relations. And you not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Brothers and sisters, in these two areas particularly, the Bible is giving us an incredible warning, a foresight, telling us these are the two ways that Satan will attack us the most. And these are the areas in which we fall the most often. But let's continue. Another quotation. Testimonies, Volume 3, page 408, paragraph 4. If systematic benevolence were universally adopted according to God's plan, and the tithing system carried out as faithfully by the wealthy as it is by the poorer classes, there would be no need, listen carefully, No need of repeated and urgent calls for means at our large religious meetings. There has been a neglect in the churches of keeping up in the plan of systematic benevolence and the result has been an impoverished treasury and a backslidden church. The Bible tells us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Systematic systematic benevolence is the God-given method of giving our offerings. Systematic benevolence simply means you give according to a system. It's regular. It's planned. It's intentional. It's not just whatever I have in my wallet when the offering plate goes by. It's on Sunday morning, according to 1 Corinthians 16, you set aside what it is that you are giving to the Lord... And you plan ahead what you give. And also the tithing system, if it were implemented. We wouldn't need to make these large offering appeals. We need your money. We can't run these meetings without your money. The the church is not helping us or we're too poor to run this meeting. If we were faithful, if the church members all were faithful in giving back what was due to God, in systematic benevolence, in their offerings and tithes, We wouldn't need to make those offering appeals. And not only that, the quotation tells us that it would prevent backsliding because if we learn to give the money that God has given us, we learn how to give our hearts as well. The love of money is the root of all evil. And that is why God is asking us to give back to Him what really belongs to him in the first place. And let me say this. Sometimes we think that 10% is so hard. But you know something? 10% is the bare 
minimum. God has requested 10% as what is due Him, but He also opens up the doors for us to give free will offering or systematic benevolence. And friends, where is our money? Where are we spending our means the most? Are we putting it into the treasure house of God? So he can open up the windows of heaven so that we would have no place to receive his blessing? Or are we putting our wealth somewhere else? If, the, if our treasure is on this earth, sooner or later, it's going to burn. Why not put in something with eternal value? What are we doing as stewards of God? Are you getting a little hot and comfortable? We're not done yet. Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 1. Page 289, Paragraph 2. This is one of those one-sentence, one-liners that will make you squirm. Dress is an index of the mind and heart. That which is hung upon the outside is a sign of what is within. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you how long it needs to be, how low it needs to go, what color it should be, or what to wipe off your face or what to take out of your ears. I'm not going to say that, but I'm just going to ask you this one question. What is within you? Dress is the index of the heart and the mind. When someone looks at you, will they be able to say, that man, that young woman, is a part of God's faithful? Will they be able to look at you and, and see the character that is within you, and they will say, that woman, that young man, they are reserved, they are modest, they are sober, they are content with themselves. They are not extravagant. They are satisfied and confident in Jesus Christ. Can they say that? Sometimes we think, well, that's their problem. They've got the polluted mind. I'm just being myself. That's right. You are being yourself. And the self that you're portraying is not a pretty one. The character within is revealed by what we wear. And you know, so often we hammer the ladies. I heard that. But in this day and age, fashion is just, a pro just as much a problem for men as it is for women. Perhaps it's not being immodest, but being extravagant. Spending our money and clothing that we don't perhaps need. Trying to follow the style, the latest and the greatest, dressing to kill. What is within our hearts? What does our dress reveal? Dress reform also is a part of the lifestyle of the final generation. How do we spend our time? 
There's so much more that could be said. But in this day and age, entertainment is not just an aside. Entertainment has, has become not just something that is recreational or every so often when we get the chance. Entertainment has become the norm of life. Television is standard. Movies and music and literature and magazines and internet all vying for our attention and for our time. And you know, there was a time when none of this stuff existed. And people got along just as well, just as happy, just as spiritual, if not more so. Sometimes we need to take an inventory of our life and see where is our time being spent. I grew up in this generation in which I grew up watching cartoons, surfing the web, playing video games. I understand what it is like, but I also understand that God is calling us to a higher standard. Rather than focusing on those negative things, let me ask you this. How much time are we spending in study of the Word? How much time are we spending on our knees, praying, interceding for our friends and family who have not yet given their life to the Lord? How much time are we spending praying for the unreached masses in this country as well as in other countries? How much time are we spending in the more important things of eternity? Meditating, witnessing, studying the Word improving our circumstances so that we will be better servants of God. I have a quotation here for all the students. I find this so encouraging. I just had to put it in here. It is regarding studying of the Bible. It says, As a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book or all other books combined. Are you having a hard time in your studies? Are you having a hard time thinking that your mind is not sharp? I'm not able to keep up with the rest of the people in my age range or group or peer, peer, or peer group or whatever. Study the Bible. Put it in your memory. And your mind will expand. And your mind will grow. And you will learn more in half an hour of study of your other material if you have spent that time in the Word than if you study for an hour. I can testify it works. How much time are we spending in the areas of life that are more important? But you know, sometimes we have, we have excuses. We have excuses, don't we? We're good at excuses. Sometimes we say, well, but I don't see anything wrong with that. It's okay to drink a little caffeine. It's okay to dress like who I really am. It's okay to, you know, test the waters, check out the guys and girls before really making a decision to be committed. It's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody else is doing it. I don't see anything wrong with that. Have you heard that before? Have you said that before? I know I have. But you know what that is? 
That is an outgrowth of this problem in society today called pluralism, relativism, humanism, where there is a plurality of truth. Where what you think is good for you is good for you and what I think is good for me is good for me. Just mind your own business. Don't cross the line. You're okay just the way you are. I'm okay the way I am. Let's all just love each other. Get along. Let's be open-minded. Let's be tolerant of each other. But brothers and sisters, the truth is the truth whether we see anything wrong with it or not. And perhaps it is a little bit intolerant. I don't know. I don't know what definition the word intolerant has evolved to mean now. But the fact of the matter is, whether we see anything wrong with it or not, if the Word says it, if God has spoken it, it is the truth. And we do ourselves a great disservice when we try to measure the truth of God by our own experience, our own knowledge, our own understanding. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the way, the end thereof is the way of death. We need to be careful what we say. We don't see anything wrong with it. Well, perhaps what's wrong is us. That's why the Laodicean church, God specifically says, you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We need the eye salve of God. But sometimes we say something else for the more faithful. We say, I'm still studying it. I'm not convicted on that yet. The Lord will show me. I'm studying that out. You know something? It's okay. It is perfectly fine to be studying it out. That's a good thing to do. But my question is, are you just saying that? Or are you really studying it out? There are some things given in inspiration and in the Word of God that is plainer than, than day. If you just read it, take it as face value, it will tell you exactly what God wants us to do. Has the quotations we've read today, have them been clear? And sometimes we go through life 5, 10, 20 years in the church and we say, I'm still studying it. Oh, well, I'm not really convicted on eating a vegetarian diet yet. I mean, I, research still hasn't convinced me yet. Brothers and sisters, are we studying or are we mocking God? I'm still studying. There are a lot of things I'm still studying. There are certain things that doesn't take too much study to know what God wants us to do. Amen? if we just put our mind and energy and be diligent and actually do what we say we will do. Another excuse, perhaps we don't say it just like this, but implied in our lifestyle, we say, I was brought up in the church. That's what everybody else does. That's what everybody else does, and that's good for me too. But you know, I was brought up in the church. I'm a fourth or fifth generation Adventist. And a lot of times I do things just because that's how I was brought up doing it. That's okay. But more than that, we need to understand why. We need to understand the reason behind the practice. We need to understand the intellectual facts 
behind the faith. Blind faith is not glorifying to God. Because when the test comes, we will be proved as the house built upon the sand. And the house will fall. You know, we've grown up in the, in the church and we've been comfortable hearing the trumpet play every Sabbath. And we think that we're just expert trumpet analysts. But yet sometimes we need to take a closer look at ourselves. Look with me in your Bibles in the book of First Peter. Second Peter, sorry. Second Peter, chapter two. Second Peter chapter two, verse twenty-one. Second Peter chapter two, verse twenty-one. Second Peter two, verse twenty-one, it says, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that has washed her, washed to her wallowing in the mire. It is better for us to have never heard than to have heard but not do. To have heard but to turn away. And in connection with what we are discussing this weekend, the faithful in the last generation, they heard. They would have heard the truth. But they also would have done what the truth said. And in Ezekiel 33, in conclusion of our message today, the promise that we have looked at already today and last night, God speaking to his people, asking us to turn, turn from our wicked ways. Ezekiel 33, verse 11, saying unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your wicked ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God is talking to us today to turn, turn from our sins yet, but not just turn and reach for the bare minimum. This is what God wants us to be. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for His children. Godliness, God-likeness is the goal to be reached. And by God's grace, the final generation will reach the ideal that God has set up. That's the goal to be reached. The trumpet has been sounded today. Perhaps we feel a little agitated. That's okay. The question is not so much, how do you feel? The question now is, what will you do? Will you really study it out? Will you really look a little deeper in the truth of God? to come up higher, higher than the high, 
Not to settle for anything that's mediocre or average, but to be the best in Jesus Christ. Is that your desire today? Do you want to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only? Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, this morning, the message has been an uncomfortable one. Lord, there are areas in our lives that need to come up higher. There are issues that we have been dodging and covering up and hiding. And often our Christian witness is weak because of it. Lord, as the message today has spoken to my heart as well as to those of my brothers and sisters here today, I pray that you will help us by your Spirit to reach higher than high. That we will not be satisfied with mediocrity, but that we will only settle for the best. Lord, I ask that you will help us to live the life of Jesus, that those people in the world may look at us and say, this is a young man or young woman that is part of the generation that seek thy face. Help us to have clean hands and a pure heart, Lord. And as we continue on to the final meeting of this dunamis weekend, we ask that you will convert us afresh today, that we will receive your Spirit, and that he will come in latter rain proportion. We love you, Lord, and we seek to do thy will. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.